our ears, part of that filtering helps us to hear from what's behind us because our ears are, you know, trying to gather what's coming in front of them. And so, but they're not really shaped. There's a little bit of shape that helps us to hear what's coming from above us, but it's not nearly as strong as what tells us that something's coming from behind us. I don't think in the evolution. Thing. Yeah, fight or flight. Yeah, I don't yeah. think in the evolutionary like DNA of of humanity we ever had to deal with many like attacks know. from above in that Birds sense. Birds like, of prey, yeah, right. swooping down, Which... pterodactyls <laughs> picking us up. Yeah, that's gonna be the intro now. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the GWNL Podcast. Guys with no lives talking about audio. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of GWNL Podcast. We're back against popular demand. They tried to hire us to do other jobs, but we quit those day jobs so that we could come back and do this podcast tonight here. Now, we've just been busy. People have been changing places and stuff. And like I, it's summer, so busy season for all of us, you know, even if you're just selling stuff. Um, I am Joe. You call me out. Maybe. <laughs> I'm Ben. And I'm Bryant. And, and we are GWNL, the guys with no lives podcast, because we literally have nothing else to do besides audio, especially during the summers. Which are not a break for audio. So um, today we're actually talking about stereo mic and multi-miking techniques, and we'll cover some really cool stuff today. Um, but before we get into that, we're going to talk about the psychoacoustics or like the physical experience that we as people have when we experience sound f- and how we use microphones to kind of emulate or copy that experience. Um, who wants to take a first stab at that, like psychoacoustics and directionality? I can. What do you want I me can, to do? It. Yeah. I can take that. Let me get right. get us started on it a little bit. Okay. Um, so yeah, basically, the um, we have two ears, right? For a reason. I have three. Oh. Oh. Okay. I didn't know about that's, that. That's how that's how live sound is. Um, keep going. <laughs> okay. So basically, the psychoacoustics of directionality. It's all about how we have our two ears, and the difference between what each ear picks up is what makes us allows us to hear directionality. So there's a lot of people that have their hearing impaired in one ear and they can't actually tell where a sound is coming from because they don't have the two ears to hear. And so there's basically three differences between what our two ears are hearing that helps us define how our brains figure out where the sound's coming from. So first of all, if a sound's coming from like over here, it's gonna be louder in this ear and softer in this ear. So there's a level difference. And then second, there's a time difference because it's going to get to this ear first and it's going to travel around my head and get to this ear a little later, like a fraction of a millisecond later. I mean, it's about a millisecond to travel around your head, just a little under that. And then the third one is what's called HRTF or head-related transfer function. And it's a filtering that happens whereas the sound travels around your head or travels around your outer ear, um, it's going to change the sound a little bit. It's going to filter out some of the frequencies. And so your brain can tell, oh, this this one is full frequency. This one has been filtered. And so that also tells us it's on this side of our head. So those three things are the way that we can hear directionality. And so all of these stereo microphone techniques will use some combination 
of one, three. two, or three of those things. Yeah. So first <laughs> up is the classic, the OG. I don't know if it's actually the classic anyways. It's the space pair. We have just basically two mics, straightforward, and they're spaced by like, you know, how long, how far is the space? There's like a specific okay. amount. It's, I know the others are more specific. It's basically that. like from a foot to like 10 feet. Is right. Pair. Yeah. Which is funny to me because like you, that kind of violates the three to one rule to some extent with it. Like when you have it super wide, but it still works. It's still the, a space. That's pair. the thing. The three to one rule is if you're not doing one of these coincidental pairs. So these are called coincidental pairs because it's all about how the two interact with each other. Each other. But yeah, the space pair does kind of stretch that, and and it is the most unrealistic sounding of them all because yeah, of that. You get the, yeah, you get the widest sound because yeah. our ears are not ten feet apart, right? Yeah. So like right. doing a space pair on a piano sounds really cool, but it may not make the piano sound natural because you'll have one mic that favors the low strings over the high strings. And so if you pan that how people normally do, which is low strings on the left, high strings on the right, um, you know, as somebody plays, like if they, if they go up in pitch, you know, you'll hear, you'll hear that in the, uh, go from left uh, to right, in the pan and go from left to right. Yeah. And so yeah. it can be a little bit disorienting to hear that, but also it can be a really cool effect. Yeah. You and can also pair it with close miking uh, to kind of manage some of that weird disorientation. But it's like we've become accustomed to that with the piano. And it's not like we yeah. listen to piano by putting our heads by the strings. Like I do that all the time. I don't have any problems then. <laughs> yeah. It's the it's, best way to hear a piano. Come on. Yeah, I, I think the best description, <laughs> yeah. well, the best like application for a spaced pair, maybe it's not the best application all the time, but I really like yeah. spaced pair like for overheads on drums um, to get like a nice wide... Um, stereo image of the whole kit mm -hmm. but also you gotta you gotta watch out for phase especially with the kick and the snare because you want those to be you know the center of your image and so you want to make sure right. that those are both equidistant to your uh overhead mics yeah and i, I think in general going along with that i think for me space pair is more about two things number one is making something sound larger than life because it's like it's bigger than our the distance between our ears, so it makes things sound bigger. And number two is covering a large area of sound and instruments. So like on a drum kit, you're covering all these instruments. They're really different instruments, right? All the cymbals and all the, the toms, tom-toms, you know what the old guys <laughs> call them? The old engineers call them tom-toms. Um, and then like a, a, a stereo guitar. Like you want to cover the body of the guitar and then the the fretboard of the guitar and there's a lot of things in a piano you're covering the low end of the piano and the high end of the piano and so that's where stereo pair is really good where you're 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 covering like maybe a single source but there's like different aspects of that source that makes sense yeah yeah or i think a, a stereo pair is also really good um picking up kind of like a like a quartet if you're wanting to get like that larger larger than life sound there might maybe other better options for that but i like it with a quartet or like uh an orchestra and we'll talk about some other ones that may be a better application but my experience i really liked space pair on those yeah yeah and and sometimes like on orchestra especially if the space pair gets too far apart it sounds really unnatural unnatural mm -hmm. but yeah there is well, one i mean it comes back to that phasing issue we were talking about yeah but um, yeah and that's the benefit of most of these is they're actually designed so that the phasing 
matches the phasing that happens in real life with that step two, that time difference that we talked about. So kind of moving on, I actually have fallen in love with using XY, which is the next one on our list of uh, miking techniques for my drum set. For the reason, like, so Bryant was talking about how a space pair can work really well as long as the mics are placed equidistant from the snare so that you don't have weird phasing with the snare's sound image, right? Well, XY kind of gets rid of that problem because when you do XY, you have one capsule that's over the other capsule and they're kind of pointed like this and the tips are pointed so that the, the polar pattern is going one way and then the other way and that kind of builds your stereo pattern. Technically, it's like left is right and right is left in theory, but... Because of where they're Whatever. aiming. It looks kind of Because of where they're aiming. Backwards. Right, but it works. Now, the reason why I like it for my drum set and why I like to use that now rather than where I used to use spaced pairs um, for drum set is because now I don't have to worry about the phasing for my snare because both of those capsules are in the same geo like geophysical spot geophysical. Um, in relation... Yeah, it's a live sound technical term. No. <laughs> No, um, but if they're in the same spot, so like phasing of the snare is not as big of an issue between my spaced pair, and I don't have to worry about equidistant um, placement for that. And in theory, I can treat it kind of like a mono overhead because it's literally in the same spot, but it's still giving me a stereo image of the drum set across the whole spread of instruments there. And I, I found I've really come to like it now. So especially for live sound where you're l running most things in mono, um, that's really awesome to have yeah. that. And that, and that I, I realized I should have said, like, which... So for XY, it's only that that level difference. There's no time difference, because the, oh, the, yeah. the dia diaphragms of the mics are in the same spot. So they're receiving their signal at the same time. But they are, like, it's louder. The stuff that's on the left is louder in the left microphone, and the stuff that's on the right is louder in the right microphone. Whereas space pair, because they're away from each other... You're going to get stuff getting to one mic before the other, so you have both level difference and time difference, and that's why you have the phase issues. So I think it's really important to point out which ones, which techniques use which of those three um, psychoacoustic yes. things. So, so that we can kind of perceive. Yeah, that. space pair yeah. is time and and level. X Y is just level. Level. Yeah. And, and so, then. Uh, and the, XY is really common. That's what's in like the recorders and stuff you see. Well, you'll the see time. them on yeah. like Zooms, like the Zoom H4n, SPN, like a lot of those like Zoom yeah, those, recorders. Yeah, those hand, handheld, uh, handheld yeah. recorders. Yeah, yeah. yeah. very, yeah. very common for those. Um, the next miking technique is bloom line. Um, yeah. Basically, it's it's similar to an XY pair, but instead of using two cardioid mics, you are using two uh, figure of eight mics, uh, coincidentally. Yeah. Coincidentally. Coincidentally, that's cute. Use, the Bloom Line. It was a. It is named after a, a person. The guy, Mister Bloom Line. What um, a self-centered. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But it's 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 this one's kind of funny. It, it works the same way as X Y, like we said, where it's just level difference, no time. But you're getting the back of the mic too. And the cool thing about this, what's kind of weird, is if you put if you surround people around the mic, it's like. The people on, you know, like you have your audience in the the in the front, and there's left and right. But then the person back here is still coming through the left, and the thing back here right. is coming through the right. Yeah. So it can it can be kind of weird, but it's really nice if you're if you're only capturing something in the front, and then you get the reverb coming from the back. It's really cool. 
I was going to say, like, I could see, like, you would talk to me about using omnidirectional capsules in treated environments, like in studios and stuff like that, and how that sounds better. And a lot of professional studios will do omni rather than cardioid pattern so that it doesn't sound as, um, I can't remember the word, but like condensed you, you, or like. You get less proximity yeah, effect. Yeah, no proximity Yes. Effect, yeah. And, and like, I kind of wonder if it's the same thing with like the bloom line where you're, you, it's not really because you're doing two figure eights. Yeah. Um, in an X pattern, but I could imagine that, like you were talking with like the room sound that you're getting as well as like what's in front of like from the ensemble and then what would be from the room in like a concert. It, hall. it does oh. kind of yeah. create a wider Omni. It's like, if you use it like as an Omni, like room mic, mm -hmm. it's like a wider Omni is it, it, it's kind of cool. It's like a, a really common application for like bloom line I've seen is to like get a stereo mic to piano. Um, and part of that is because you know the one the one side you're getting you're capturing the strings, and then on the other side you're capturing the reflection off of the lid of the piano if you have the you know piano the grand piano's lid opened up, and so you get that like natural reverb from it. Um, some of the room too would come in. Yeah, yeah. and then um, <clears throat> something else that I've seen Bloomline used as is so um, like AEA has uh, has a a stereo mic and AA yeah, makes ribbon, ribbon mics. Yeah. yeah. Stereo ribbon mic. I think it's the R 88. Um, yeah, yeah. and, uh, they actually did a, like a series where they basically were miking a whole group with just that one mic. And so they were you know, trying to get away with like one mic. Technically it's, you know, it's a stereo mic. So it's still, it's still two, two inputs, but you know, they would have the, um, you know, vocalists right front and center to have that, up that way and then anything else if they wanted it to be panned you know they just basically do the panning physically. in the room yeah physically yeah yeah so it's really really cool but you get like a really natural sound um within the room with that kind of a thing if you're trying to get that live type feel yeah and yeah. the reverb that's going to come in the back of the mic it's not going to make any difference that the left and right are kind of swapped you know the reverb's mm -hmm. diffuse enough that that's not like, oh, it's like, oh, the reverb sounds like it's opposite. You know, you're like, no, you're not going to be no. able to. No, yeah, it's, <laughs> too, it's too mushy at that point. It's been, the, yeah. the clarity is too gone. Yeah, but Bloom Line's really cool. It is most commonly done with ribbon mics, and there are, like, some ribbon mics that are built like that. But it can yeah. be done with any figure eight, figure of eight mics, and they should be, yeah. all the ones we've talked about so far should be a matched pair. They should be the same kind of mic. Speaking of which, best. have we covered so like XY, Bloomline, Bloomline, what would you say are the effects, the psychoacoustic effects that Bloomline it's just the one, you? just like XY. Yeah. It's okay. just the level, level difference. Okay. But not time. Because they're and that's the nice thing about the ones that are built fair. together, is it's mm -hmm. really the diaphragms are really close to each other and so they're so you, really, more, you really don't have to worry about any sort of phasing. Yeah. So yeah. next up is a classic from Radio France. It is the Office de Radio Diffusion, Television Francois. Yeah, so or the this, ORTF. This one's fun. The name, <laughs> Brian's gonna laugh at me because I can't speak French at all. And he actually can. So he's like, "This is embarrassing." So, <laughs> we had this last semester. I was teaching this, and it was really funny because I told them about how it's like French, basically for operators of radio. Right. And television foundation. That's basically what the. And so then I said, but in English, we would call it the foundation of radio and television operators, which is FARDO. 
And so, <laughs> so all the students started calling the Fardo technique. technique. So they're like, oh, oh yeah, we should yeah, try oh, Fardo, you know. That's, you mean it officially became Fardo, F-R-T-O. So it is now Fardo instead of ORTF. In English, it's Fardo. If we translate ORTF to English, it becomes Fardo. Fardo. The foundation of radio and television. I'll stick with operators. the ORTF thing. Yeah. <laughs> I've taught this like many, many years, and that's the first time that we came up with Fardo by saying that. And I was just like, and that's so the, great. The students just couldn't, couldn't let it go. So every time um, we did a lab about it and stuff, they're like, oh, we should try the Fardo. Yeah. I mean, at least it's getting them to try it. And so. on the yeah. test, they're like, oh, can I say Fardo on there? Or do I have to say, I'm like, I'll, I'll accept Fardo, you know? You got the letters. All right, Brian, right? how would you yeah. actually say ORTF? Like, say, I, you actually can pretend. Yeah, because well, this me, guy me, speaks French. I have to actually. Yeah, sadly, look it there up. are no. Like, yeah, if you look it Filipino up on engineers. Wikipedia, it will pop right yeah. up. Yeah, it's Office uh, de Radio of, Office de Radiofusion Television Française. Yeah, see, someone can actually speak it properly. Gosh yeah, dang, I'm said. an idiot. Oh, is, yeah. is the F for f French? France? Yeah, so, yeah, Française. Oh, France. French. Okay. And it's since, uh, since Television is uh, feminine, Française is feminine. Okay. So instead of français, it's française. But the O is basically, yeah. it's like radio and television operators, right? Of it's France. office day. So office of is radio it office? diffusion. Yeah, that's yeah, office. office of okay. radio diffusion. Yeah. French, so. French radio and television office. See? It's still Fardo. French radio and television <laughs> office. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let's actually talk about <laughs> yeah. how to do ORTF now that we've talked about the history of how yeah. not to say the name right. ORTF yeah. is kind of like a mix between Space Parent XY in some regards. What happens is um, you have two microphones, basically like this. They're at a 110 degree angle, um, and they are spaced. Uh, I think the capsules are 17 centimeters capsule to capsule. Yeah, for the, for I don't those know what that is in inches. For those podcast angle. listeners uh, that can't see that, 110 degree angles angled out. Out, so the capsules are pointing yeah, away from pointing each away other. from each other, and it's it's mainly it's designed to be like your ears, so they're like the yeah. same distance, similar distance to where your ears are apart from each other. It's like putting two microphone capsules where your ears are, so they're sort of facing forward, but they're kind of facing out too, which is the right. one ten. So if they were like, you know, one hundred eighty, they'd just be facing completely out, but they're kind of forward. Yeah, like instead of them facing like this. They're like this, yeah. if you can see it on the YouTubes. And it, they they really equate well to headphones, and they equate mm -hmm. to speakers really well. But this is one of the, so far, actually of the the four we've talking, talked about so far, this is the most natural sounding one so far. Sometimes it's a little boring how natural it sounds. I'm going to be real. Yeah, and, and like, like the XY often sounds really narrow to me, like really mono. So like yeah. I've done a lot of tests with students and stuff. And in like setting up and recording concerts and everything. And to me, the ORTF like usually wins, especially for like an orchestra, especially because they're pointed out wide. If you have a really big orchestra and you're like putting this ORTF um, array like just behind the conductor or just over their head, it really picks up the orchestra like it's th what the... Um, conductors hearing conductors hearing exactly yeah. yeah i was gonna say when we did it at uh the school we were at when i was a student of yours we ended up going with like we had the 15 foot tall boom stand the yeah. straight stand and yeah. we ended up going back into like the second or third row 
in the concert hall and then putting it, I think, most of the way up. I, I remember marking it. I have marks on the thing. Yeah, and it was interesting have. because we did experiments, and as you get further away, you get more. It's the balance between the direct and the wet. Yeah. The dry but and we the had wet. a good sound. We have a great sounding acoustic space, and I yeah. felt like that space actually lended well to those ensembles, those more yeah. acoustic style So if you ensembles. get too close, yeah. like over the director's head, was like right. too dry sounding. Mm-hmm. It was too direct. But I think it was like, it ended up being, like if we went to the second or third row, it was like too wet. It was like right on the first row. Yeah. And there's a good, like, you know, there's an aisle between the stage and the first row. So there's some space for it. So it's a good, like, eight feet behind the, the conductor, eight or ten feet. Yeah. And, and it works because we had a really good sounding hall like with space. But I really yeah. did... I actually do use ORTF if I have to use a like a type of XY a spaced pair or whatever. And the interesting thing I found about this is when you get a smaller like ensemble, like like especially when I've gone from recording like orchestra with ORTF, then you try to record like a solo vocalist mm-hmm. with a piano and oh, and bringing that in time. more narrow to become like this six or seven inch apart um, spaced pair. Mm actually ends up sounding better because you have more of a centered sort of thing. So if it is a soloist like that, I'll usually point them more straight ahead so they're like, you know, zero or 10 degrees instead of 110 degrees, you know? Yeah. Mm. Um, but if yeah, it's this sense. big ensemble, that 110 degrees works really well. But it is it, it still sounds good with a centered thing when they're pointing out, which is weird because you would think, oh, the mics are pointing away from it. but But like our ears are pointing away to the sides, but we hear the people right in front of us really well. Yeah, right? and like we get a little bit of forward. I almost kind of feel like ORTF sounds natural because you have a little bit of that forward because the shape of our ear and how the ear picks up sound, though it is still more side like that 180 rather than the directly. The 110. I don't know. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. they're well, cupped to like catch the yeah. sound. So our, our, our ears are really good at hearing sound around us because of the way that the shape that they are. And so just kind of like the filtering thing, something from behind you is filtered by your ear. Yeah. So speaking of psychoacoustics, this does use two. It uses time difference and level difference. And because that, that time difference, the phase issue that's going to happen is the same phase issue that would happen with our heads because it's the same distance as our ears. It sounds very natural. That phase issue. It sounds like the natural yeah. phase difference that we hear in real life. It's more, it more closely matches, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so ORTF, that's cool. Now we have a fun one that's terrifying to many people, but it's actually <laughs> really, really cool. Mid-side. Mm-hmm. So this is dumbed down to MS, but stands for mid-side, and there's a, a middle microphone that's a cardioid that's facing forward, mm-hmm. and then there's the side microphone, which is a figure eight, that faces the sides and they're the same thing. They look kind of the same as a bloom line where they're, you know, they're, they're a 90 degree angle from each other, but, um, they, you don't just take the mid and put it to the left and the side and put it to the right. Cause the mid is really the center and the side, the figure eight is the sides. So it does this encoding and decoding process which is this is the thing that scares people. extremely complicated and it's, we don't have the time to go into it in this podcast. It, it's so yeah. funny because i've dealt with people that like just stay away from it because they think it's super complex and you're just like yeah. 
It's actually the, really simple. Yeah, the, the decoding process is super easy for the side. All you do is you just duplicate the track uh, in post-production, and then you invert the phase, and then you pan one to the left, and then the inverted one to the right. So he's saying you duplicate the figure of eight track and then yeah. hard pan the duplication. So one is to the left, one is to the right, and then you phase rotate one of them. And then the mid stays normal in the center, and then mm-hmm. the sides have that that thing going down with them. And Sorry. essentially, if the mid's in the center, it's still sending the same equal amount to both of those sides, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you would think if you just listen to that, that figure of eight, panned hard left and right and, and flip phase... It would sound all weird and out of phase. Hollow. Yeah. But the having that mid in there, that cardioid that's at the same space as it, like fixes that and makes it not sound phasey. Like I don't know if anybody has done this, but I have literally done this on like line arrays on accident. So I accidentally flipped the phase. <laughs> In the middle, like in like a middle bl- block of like one of the lines, and oh, and like I didn't realize it. And we were testing them in a line. Thankfully, it was in the shop, and so I flipped the phase, and I didn't realize. I'm like, man, this doesn't sound right. And like my boss comes by, and he's like, yeah, you dinkus, you flipped the phase. And I was like, how did I do that? And he's like, did you wire them wrong? Did you put the positive on the negative and the negative on the positive? Anyways, so I did that, and that hollow sound is like now how I like identify phase rotation. It's that lesson has like served me so much more better because like i'm like oh yeah flip the face duh and like but that kind of hollow sound actually so like i was talking about this before the podcast and i don't know if jake's gonna take that or this or whatever but what's cool about this and i had this like whole epiphany i like come to jesus moment where i realized that because you flip the phase on things that are panned hard left and right it's gonna hollow out the middle frequencies of that signal from what i've heard a lot of times when i've listened to actual phase rotated stuff that's like compared to a traditional signal um now the reason that midside works really well is because you have this middle microphone to fill in those frequencies that you would have essentially been canceling out from the phase rotated left and right so though you would have that hollowness in a stereo setting between the left and the right duplications, you have that middle frequency to kind of fill in those f- harmonic gaps, if you will. And that's why it's really cool and it works really well. And that's why I like really, now I'm like super into like mid side now because it's like a really cool thing because it works with those things. And depending on how much volume, like Ben was saying, you turn up that middle frequency, you can make it seem wider or more or centered more based off of that middle frequency and how much middle, presence you get from that the middle, middle microphone. Yeah. 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 So the cool thing is, is this is using both time and level difference. And so it's got the time difference of the phasiness of the left mm-hmm. and right. And like, like Joe was saying, the less of the middle mic, you get more of that phasiness happening. And so it sounds wider. And the more that you put of the middle cardioid mic, it's there's less of the phasiness, and so it sounds more centered. So, right. Um, but it's really Super easy. Cool. There's actually encoders on a lot of preamps, like two channel preamps, so you can monitor um, with uh, with the MS, so you can hear it in stereo. Because when you're trying to monitor it, it's like the mid is like really hot, and the side is like really soft because you're picking up the sides, you know. Yeah, and yeah. so it's really kind of tough to to check it at times, and I've had people that like, I'm like, okay, I mean, I teach them how to do mid side, and then they go and record, and then they come back, and it sounds really mono, and I'm like, well, you actually flipped your side is the middle, and the, 
in the mid. So That's you threw the cardioid out of phase, you know. And so, you threw um, the mid out of phase, not the side. <laughs> That's, and, That's and hilarious. The guy really did it. He did it through a pre that had a button to do that. And so it was kind of like, I was like, oh, shoot, it's stuck this way. And then I realized later, I'm like, oh, I can just run it through a decoder and then flip it around and run it back through an encoder and make it work. But anyways, yeah. that's what scares people of it. But the cool thing is this, this gets used for a lot of things. One of the most common things is sound effects. So like mm-hmm. they have those sound effect blimps. Sometimes they'll have XYs in them and stuff, but a lot of times they'll have an MS array and they'll have two pencil conde- condensers. Huh. And, um, and a lot of times the, the, the field recorders will have um, an MS encoder on it so that and then they'll have an adjustment level so they like turn up the gain of the mid so that it's more centered but it's great for sound effects because a lot mm. of sound effects you need a very strong center but having a stereo aspect of it too make gives it more depth so yeah huh. yeah huh, that's cool midside's really neat you should yeah. use it try it out that's especially if you're in the studio it's really and neat. it's also the whole mid-side encoding and decoding is what can be used to adjust the center versus the sides of a mix, too, in mastering. Mm. So, Well, we have Decatree and then just the, the, the spatial stuff. Move on to, yeah, Decatree then? Yeah, Decatree's cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If, if you're into that sort of thing. <laughs> if you're into trees. I really like trees. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> So what they do is they uh, they grow a fir tree, a Douglas fir, in the uh, in, in the, the studio, studio. You see, by the it's orchestra. Studio. Yeah, by the orchestra. You see, this is why Decatree is such a coveted uh, microphone technique. You have to spend the twenty or so years growing the tree, and then once you've grown the tree, you have to adjust the branches and like. You have to like the trim the tree as it grows, so it just has yeah, three to... branches. Right. What the Decatree technique is. It's a three mic technique um you've got two like two mics i believe is it like six to ten feet apart yeah usually are, ten but they can be um and they're like your far mics and you've got one mic in front of that that's exactly in the middle that's usually half the distance that? forward yeah so if they're 10 feet See, apart there's like a center point forward. Yeah, the center point yeah. of the trunk of the tree, right? I'm seeing it two meters left to right with 1.5 meters front to back is what I'm seeing. Oh, so yeah? So that's meters, not feet. Well, yeah, right? I mean... But that's not, that's not half, though. Yeah, it's half usually... distance forward. My understanding was that it's 10 feet from left to right and then five feet to the, to the front one. I've never done this, so whatever. I have, yeah. and that's what I've done. So, uh-huh. But I think there's variations of it, but... Um, yeah. Something around that, but that makes sense. Having a little, you know, varying that a little bit could make a little bit of a difference. But then it gets panned left, center, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually they're Omni microphones too. And traditionally, they're U47s in Omni. Oh. Huh. And that's that explains the, why they use like TLM, like TLMs and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, the TLMs are like the newer version of the U47. Yeah. I even see some with like a like so they have like the center right but they'll even have like another like I guess shotgun mic pointed out of it that's weird yeah there's lots of variations and and it is it kind of was a technique that was designed it's what's best for orchestra and so that makes sense Decca Decca Records did it um 
for a recording orchestra and they developed it. So that's what's called the Deca tree. And it looks like this big tree because it's like 20 feet in the air too. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's a big array. Yeah. But it's great for orchestra. And that's what still most of the orchestra recordings you hear in movies and stuff are recorded with the Deca tree. And in movies, it's great because you've got left, center, right in your surround sound. And so you just put those mics to left, center, right. So, yeah. Mm. Nice. But I've done it recording. A, I did it once recording a choir. It was really cool, even mm. though we mixed it in stereo. But lame. <laughs> stereo so boring. <laughs> Speaking of how boring stereo is. Oh wait! Before we get to that decatry, um, time and level. My guesses. Yeah. So that one's time and level. Yeah. It. Yeah. Because it's it's kind of like a space pair. It's kind of an advanced space pair because it has that center. Because then you can get the width. Of like the 10 feet apart or six feet apart, but then have some like, because what, I mean, you have some stereo some center. Yeah. Because like with the space pair, once you get too wide, it starts to sound kind of hollow in the middle. Not phasey hollow, but like empty. No, no, no. So so in, in a sense, it's kind of like combining space pair and like a mid mic. Yeah. Like almost like the MS kind of idea. MS and Space Pair had a child, and it was uh, Decatree. Deca Tree. <laughs> and it was it was Deca Records that became Decatree. All right, so spatial audio. So now we're kind of I'm kind of lumping these in because we have like an episode dedicated to spatial audio and the capture and reproduction of those things. But we're talking about essentially three concepts, which is binaural. There's also ambisonic microphones, and then 360 degree audio, and how those things are all kind of interrelated. Talking about those three psychoacoustic factors. Um, yeah. So binaural comes first because it really is connected to these, but then right. What is it? The what's the Neumann's head mic? I can't remember the the yeah, model name. Literally, it. it's like a yeah. a mannequin face. Yeah, yeah so it's like a mics. head. So <laughs> so yeah, they just binaural, put like rubber ears on it. Like. It's basically like ORTF, but you put it in a mannequin head, so you actually get that third thing, the filtering. Because there's right, actually you're mimicking ears the ear, there's, yeah. you're mimicking that. You're mimicking the. Some of them actually are like well designed for like mimicking the actual earlobe and ear canal, um, as well. But it's. I actually have been watching a lot of videos on this from like headphone tester people. It's kind of an average of a lot of people's ear canals and ear shapes is what they use to kind of design those um, binaural microphones. Yeah. But. Some of them are used. I, I think most of the, like the applications I know of for a lot of those is more like headphone testing and like testing the human experience, sort of. Yeah. But even that's not a perfect analog for how everyone's going to experience sound. Yeah, and that's the problem with them. So there's some cool, like when it was first developed, this guy did a bunch of recordings and they're really famous and they're online and you can hear like this stuff dancing around you and stuff. That's um, cool. But it's really cool for headphones, but it's really not that great on speakers. And so yeah. it's like really real, like it's super realistic with headphones. So if you, especially if you listen to some of these binaural recordings out there, it's like someone's dancing around. If you like binaural, the, the vir virtual haircut, that's a pretty cool one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's and that true. beget ASMR. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. It really is kind of. Okay. So. Mo yeah, binaural would be great for... Yeah. Moving on from binaural, you got the ambisonic mic, which is... Usually it's four four capsules. They're all pointed in different, you know, different directions. So it's picking up audio from that one single point that are, you know, it's basically 
all four capsules are essentially in phase since they're so close to each other. Um, but it allows you to get that like 360 feel in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And the cool thing about Ambisonic and we, it gets to the decoding and encoding sort of thing because they figured out that by adding or subtracting various amounts of those mics from each other, you can kind of make your array like a cardioid that's facing one direction and it's rejecting yeah. the things behind mm-hmm. it or make it a figure of eight in, in different directions. <clears throat> and they have like more than four mics on there's six mics ones. Um, there's, yeah. I've, there, I've there's heard an eight mic fi- one. I've heard a 15 mm-hmm. mic. That's one. insane. The 15 mic one is a USB mic because you'd have to have a 15 channel interface to connect it yeah. to. Um, the, and the, the cool eight- thing about that one, they had software with it that you could basically like put it in the center of an ensemble and then say, move it around and be like, Oh, there's the upright bass. Now I can mix yeah. the upright bass and then move it around and find the drum kit. So, so I have been like watching a lot of other like live sound engineers and I, I've recently discovered Dave rat and I, I'm not name dropping cause I know the guy, I don't know anything about him, but his YouTube channel is really cool. And he actually talks about how, um, the, the experience that most concert goers experience sound from is a horizontal experience and not a vertical experience because he specifically talks about the weaknesses of line arrays in this, in this specific video where he talks about how you do get weird filtering vertically, but because you as a concert goer are not experiencing the concert vertically, you're only experiencing sound from a horizontal and rotational plane in that. It doesn't matter that that's a weakness of line arrays that you're going to get weird comb filtering in between each box and at, at, the, at the points where they're going to be spread out. And so like kind of applying it to these kinds of things, most of this 360 audio and spatial audio is actually horizontally based oh, yeah. and rotationally based because we're not even thinking like if we think of spatial audio because like we think of 360 degree audio. We're talking about degrees, but we're not talking about verticality in that kind of thing, which is a whole nother way of even perceiving audio. Well, there's for the experience. There, there's there's a debate on whether whether or not like stuff like Atmos is even like necessary because the the verticality in audio, like do we do we perceive that verticality or do we not? And so there's there's right. debate about whether or not those like additional four channels because. Dolby Atmos setup, you're looking at, you know, 7.2.4. That's variable, um, but yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, variable, but minimum specs of that. Yeah, minimum. Um, yeah. And so that, that, you know, four vertical channels, like, like, can you hear that additional, can you hear that, like, that height, those four channels that are up above, or are you right. hearing the, uh, the horizontalness from that? Yeah. Which is yeah. like kind of like the point, because like it, if you think about the like as as for as for me and like when I think about a concert goer's experience, they're not really like especially when you think about a concert person there, they're not really listening to the music if they're getting up to get a drink. They might be, but they're not engaging with the music in the same sense as if they're like in the concert in those seats participating. You know what I'm saying? Well, well even even within that, if you think of like where speakers are placed at a right. concert, you know they're they're up high. But we don't perceive it as sound coming up from clear up high. We're seeing the band and we're perceiving the sound coming to us just from directly. that stage. Yeah, directly. Now, I mean, if when you look at line arrays, the design of them is designed to essentially manage that height. And, and it, it doesn't... <laughs> 
because they're still calculating the distance from the top box and the small and the the lowest box and the angles of those things, mm-hmm. so that it's throwing it across like an even s- dispersal pattern. The only weird thing is you generally want like a little bit of a, a, a upness there to kind of manage some of that because it gets a little wonky, mm-hmm. and you still get weird comb filtering between boxes, but it's negligible because it's that vertical versus horizontal experience of it. Yeah, and it's it's got to be up high so that it can. Reach everybody over all the front and so rows you're not heads. blowing the heads yeah. off of the yeah, first so. few rows. But yeah, it's like this goes back to the psychoacoustics concept. Yeah, um, that filtering, that third thing, the filtering, our ears. Part of that filtering helps us to hear from what's behind us because our ears are, you know, trying to gather what's coming in front of them. And so, right. but they're not really shaped. There's a little bit of shape that helps us to hear what, what's coming from above us. But it's not nearly as strong as what tells us that something's coming from behind us. I don't think in the evolution. Yeah, fight or flight. I don't think in the evolutionary like DNA of of humanity we ever had to deal with many like attacks from above in that sense. Birds of prey swooping down, pterodactyls (laughs) picking us up. (laughs) 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 Yeah, that's gonna be the intro now. No, but uh, no, but like spatial sound is really cool in the sense of like that kind of stuff. But like even then, there are different ways. Like that's something that crossed my mind as you were explaining like the issues with Dolby Atmos and whether it is or isn't perceptible. I'm like, how would you even like in headphones or something like that? How would you even give the perception of going up? It's yeah, that same like, thing. Yeah. It's that third one. It's the filtering. And it is, guess, yeah. it is because it's got to go over the top of your ear, and and your head shape is different from vertical, and so um, it's all about that. It's just the subtle differences in that filtering, which that really leads us mm-hmm. to this 360 audio. Right. So the whole thing about this is like if you're like in an interactive video game, and, or a 3D. Um, yeah, in a video game. I, yeah. I, VR. I know a lot of VR, games that's that have the good, word I'm yeah. looking for. If yeah, you're VR and you move your head, you know, yes, the image changes, but you want the, the sound goes. to change. So if you're looking forward and there's a machine gun going to your right and there's a baby crying to your left, if you turn your head to the left, now the baby crying is supposed to be centered and the machine gun is like going to be behind you. Right. And so you would think. And that's what, as whenever I explain the ambisonics and stuff, everybody's thinking, oh, well, that's how they do the VR audio. And it's like, no, they can't, because they would have to create every circumstance and move the mic array around. Like, it would have to adjust yeah. for the adjustments that you're of your making head, with your head. You know? It would be like I'm an infinite amount of, like, recordings to trigger, yeah. you know? But yeah. what they do is they use those three things, the time difference, level difference, and filtering, the had really a transfer function and as and they have like individual recorded elements and as you move your head around it's saying oh that baby crying was off to the left and so it was louder in your left ear and softer in the right and earlier to the left and later to the right and and full signal to the left and slightly filtered in the right now once you turn your head now all of a sudden it changes the mix of that sound effect and says, okay, now it's equal in both ears, so it's going to sound centered. It's not going to. It's going to be filtered the same in both ears, um, and it's it's a 
same level and same time difference in both ears. So now it sounds like it's in the center. And so you move your head again and the mix of all those elements change dynamically to be that 360 That's like sound. Trying to do that like in an analog method oh, is, yeah. is almost more complicated than just doing digital sampling and manipulating the samples. Like it's almost easier to do it in a video game than trying. Like I was talking about this before where I was talking with a buddy of mine in audio and we were talking about how cool it would be to record as if you were a musician in an orchestra. But like the technical wizardry to make that happen is kind of like crazy when you think about it, because like what you were just talking about with 360 degree audio, if you were to turn your head in that VR situation, now the sound is going to change in a way that is like majorly different than a single microphone would interpret. And, and then like, imagine if you were to walk around in VR in that same space, essentially where an orchestra is performing and like, how would they capture that? Like, there's there's like infinite like as you increase the complexity of like the spatial audio you that's what you do you're like as you walk around you're increasing the complexity of those things and i know because i've read like like textbooks specifically discussing the like billions of like refractions that occur and reflections that occur within a single auditory space and they talk about calculating that and trying to manipulate that with like first reflections and then we're talking about spatial stuff like reverberations and delays and and all of these other myriad things that are going to be happening and capturing it with a microphone only gets you so close and then like it's it's so much easier to just build samples and then building a three-dimensional audio within a digital environment than trying to capture it in the analog space yeah because of all of these factors that just keep piling up and then how do you overcome this you know just for somebody to walk to one side of an ensemble to another to hear that as if they were in that space just go learn how to play the violin and join an orchestra like it'd be just it'd be walk easier. around <laughs> we had that happen at one of our concerts where the this person was supposed to take pictures <sighs> and they just started walking up on the stage taking pictures and like getting in the way and you're like you're supposed to be discreet and yes you want to get good pictures but it's also a performance and we don't want the audience to be distracted by the photographer. But yeah, some dude yeah. walk up next to the conductor. <laughs> Snap. Yeah, exactly. And that's what they were doing. And the, the conductor was just like, not here. So anyways, um, yeah, that's 360 yeah. audio. So, I mean, we can go, there's a lot more to talk about with that. And there's, yeah. that's a lot of the future of audio. And that's what the we will have audio. <laughs> a further a future podcast yes. talking more about that it has been a wonderful night it's uh glad to be back for gwnl i am joe we have ben pointing to somebody bryant and we are at gwnl, GWNL uh podcast. mix good mix just good. say it mix good mix mix good we're gwnl mix podcast good. mix good <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>